boys and girls, everybody feeling better? Everybody having a good week? Everything's all right? No complaints? None at all? Well, I sure love your boots that you've got on today. And you've got boots? Daddy bought them for you. You've got such an awesome, wonderful daddy. It is, I am so proud of you. Yes, you are great. You are great. Oh my goodness, I, I'm sorry, forgive me. Hold on, hold on. Forgive me, I'm sorry, I thought it was off. Hello? Um, yeah, we're here in church, and I've got maybe a dozen boys and girls here. Oh, oh, you already knew that? Okay. Well, um, oh my. And tell them that you love them, and you're always with them, and you're always watching over them, right? All right, God, I'll do that. Thank you. I love you. Thank you. Bye. That was God calling. That was God calling. And he knew that you were here with me. All right, let's really talk about that. Is God going to call me on a cell phone? No. No. Do I need a cell phone to talk to God with? No. No. But what I wanted you to really understand is, is God always with us? AJ. AJ. Is God always with us? Is God always with us? I got to ask a question in Sunday school today by a young man that I have a lot of respect for. And he asked me, he goes, um, if God's with me this week on a certain day, how can he be with you too? God can do anything. God can be with a billion different people at one time. Where can you talk to God? We don't need the cell phone to talk to him. Where do we talk to God? Where do we talk? Where do you talk to God, lady? Um, we pray. What else can we do? What else do we do? Where? Where can you talk to God? We obviously talk to him here in church. Where else can we talk to God? At home. Where else? Where else? At teen church? Where else can we talk to God? At home. Home? Where else? School, maybe? School? Outside. What if I just said that we could talk to God anywhere and anytime? About anything. We can talk to God anywhere, anytime, about anything. I have found that sometimes I can be sound asleep. Wake up, that's it. I'm awake. Can't go back to sleep. Could that be God knocking on my door to talk to him? I promise you, I've said a lot of prayers this week in the middle of the night. And I pray for you. And I pray that you have an awesome week. Some of you have been sick. I am so thankful that you're back up feeling good. Feeling a lot better. But let's keep in mind one thing. The Bible even tells us in Psalms, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. If we cry out and if we talk to God, is he going to hear us? 
He's going to always hear you. He's going to always hear you. If you have something on your mind, God wants to hear from you. God wants to hear from you. And it doesn't matter when, where, or what the subject might matter might be. If there's something you can't talk to your mom and dad about, or your teachers or your friends, can you talk to God about it? Yeah. Yes, you can talk to God anywhere, anytime, about anything. And do I need this to talk to God? Yes. No. I don't need a cell phone to talk to God. I don't even, God doesn't even have a cell phone. He doesn't have a cell phone. He hears our prayers. He hears your prayers, yours, yours. He hears everybody. And just like I told the young man in Sunday school today, he can answer all of our prayers, a billion different prayers at one time. Because God is God and God can do any and everything. Okay? All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I am so, so very thankful that you can hear us all at the same time. I am so thankful that we can still pray and come to be together as Christians here at church in a safe place. I ask you to please watch over these boys and girls. And dear Lord, I don't care if it's in the middle of the night, in school, wherever it might be. If they need to talk to you, dear Lord, I pray that they will remember that they can talk to you anywhere, any place, about anything. God bless them and God bless their families. For us in your, your precious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. in mind if you'll turn to Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to break up. 24 through 29, at least into one more sermon after this. I was noticing some stuff as I was studying that, that just gets me excited and, um, and, and makes me want to call those things out. But this morning, guys, I want to talk to you about the secret Oh, gosh, that is a great question. Um, yeah, um, let's... <laughs> yeah, let's do it at the end. And I need people keeping me straight, so thank you. So we'll do that at the end. Um, oh, all right. Thank you, Jenny. Um, there's a secret or a mystery that this passage talks about. And guys, I'm telling you, it gets at the very heart of what Paul's letter to the Colossians is all about. But not only that, it gets to the very heart of what Christianity in general is all about. And so I've been excited about getting to this point for a while, and I want us to really hunker down and put our thinking caps on when we dive into this, because if we as a church need to make sure that all that we do is centered around the very heart of Christianity, then this actual teaching that Paul is giving here is of utmost importance to everything we do here. This is the very heart of Christianity, and I think it if we grasp onto this, 
It'll not only change our personal lives, but it'll change the, 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 the corporate life, the corporate body life that we have together as a church. So looking back at verse 24, I want to get us started, and we're going we're gonna to mention a few things that are going to remind us of last week when we talked about afflictions and persecutions and struggles. But it says, Paul's saying here, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, I want y'all to understand that I lost my New King James Version Bible somewhere in transition. So I'm using my New American Standard this morning until I can find my New King James. So I hope it doesn't mess you guys up too much this morning. Um, but here's what I want to talk about. Last week, we mentioned the fact that Paul is rejoicing in his sufferings that are on behalf of the Colossian believers, we said, now, wait a minute, Paul never really went to Colossae. He's not the one who started the church. He didn't go through sufferings there in that city. How in the world does Paul suffer on behalf of them? And how does he do that anyway? Even in a city where he is um, ministering and he does have to suffer, how is that on their behalf? And it's hard to answer that question. To be honest with you, even the commentaries that I read, this verse is all over the place as far as the explanations go. Now, I want us to understand several things. Number one, Christ's suffering, his persecution, his affliction, when he went and faced the either the Gentile leaders of his day, when you talk about um, Pilate and, 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 and Caesar, I mean, uh, not Caesar, um, Herod and, and those guys, all right? When he faced those political leaders, but not only that, the religious leaders of his day, the Jews who were in opposition to him, he completed everything that the Father gave him to do. As a matter of fact, when he was on the cross, he actually said, to Telestai. And in, in the, the language that he was using, that means it is finished. And so when Paul says, I'm completing what is lacking in Christ's sufferings, it has nothing to do with the fact that Christ did not suffer enough. He suffered everything to the nth degree, as we've already discussed in here, and bought us our salvation, our reconciliation with the Father, as we discussed in Colossians, um, I guess, 20, 21, 22, and 23, right? So Paul's already talked about that. There is nothing lacking in Christ's afflictions, but last week we said that Christ promised that if we follow him and all the opposition that he would face, we would see it as well. If we truly latched on to what he was doing and became a true follower of him, we would be persecuted because he was persecuted. And I think that's a lot of what Paul is getting at here. There's a lot of other explanations that I found as I'm reading commentaries, but I think to keep it pretty, pretty where it needs to be, that needs to be our explanation. And I also shared last week how 
There was another explanation for how Paul is actually ministering to the Colossians and the suffering that he has to go through, as well as the fact that when you and I see somebody suffer and hang in there and show their commitment to the person of Jesus Christ, how much does it encourage us? I mean, it really encourages me. And that's one way in which the Colossians, if they are hearing about what Paul is facing and then he's standing and he's continuing to believe and he is continuing to preach and proclaim in the face of everything that he is facing, that is a reason for them to hang in there. And remember, we've just got through a passage of scripture where Paul says, if you are locked in to the gospel and you remain true in the faith, then the blamelessness and the um, being without accusation that God is looking for will be yours. And so we're talking about a faith that actually hangs on when it's tough. And so when you see somebody else hanging on when it's tough, it spurs you on to hang on when it's tough. Now, there's another reason I think that, that Paul is saying his sufferings um, will be for their behalf. We're not going to get to that this week. Hopefully, the next time when we're together, we'll pull that out. But I just want to remind us what Paul is going through and, and talk a little bit about his sufferings. So, if, And please, guys, we're going to try to fly through some scriptures this morning because I want y'all to see some things. So y'all bear with me. Acts 9, Acts chapter 9, verse 22. Um, let's talk about these moments when Paul actually faced some suffering and why he faced the suffering. And you're going to see why this is important in just a little bit. But I want you to call to your attention that in Acts 8, okay, Saul was the one persecuting the church. And um, Acts 9 is when Saul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. We heard that song this morning. We also heard the one about needing Jesus um, that, that the choir started off with. Um, and so the difference was not in a religion. The difference was not in a set of do's and don'ts where Paul or Saul actually changed his life. The difference was in the fact that, that Saul became Paul because he met Jesus himself, the very person of God who changed his life. All right, so in verse um, 22, I think, as I said before, it says, Saul, once Saul began um, preaching, and Ananias prayed so that he can receive his sights, it says, Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that what? Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. And that's been our central message of Colossians from day one. Okay? And so Paul's message at Damascus immediately almost after he met Jesus was telling people, wait a minute, this Jesus that I met, he is the Messiah, right? And then verse 23, when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to what? To kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and so they lowered him out the window, and he goes to 
down to Jerusalem to hang out with the rest of Jesus' disciples at that point and the church that was down there, okay? So look at um, Acts chapter 13. Oh, wait a minute. Let me make sure I'm... Look at verses 26 to 29 of Acts chapter 9 first. I'm sorry. When Paul came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. Because remember, when he left Jerusalem, he was going to Damascus to put Christians in jail for following Jesus. And so now he's back at Jerusalem and all the disciples are, are scared. He's just coming to find out who we are so he can put us in jail too. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and they had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were what? Attempting to kill him. I mean, everywhere this guy goes, when he's talking about who? Jesus. Jesus everybody wants to kill him. All right? So when they learned about it, they sent him up to, Tar to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, which was like his hometown. Okay? So now in Acts chapter 13, verse 14. Acts chapter 13, verse 14. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The church at Antioch was growing and, and Gentile believers were coming to faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit was moving and, and Barnabas went up there to check things out and he went to Tarsus and he got Paul and said, Paul, you've got to come over here. You've got to help us teach these believers. You've got to help us work with the Holy Spirit and what he's doing here. And so as Paul and Barnabas are working together, there were some prophets in the church and the Holy Spirit was moving and they said, we want you to set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work which I've called them to do. And so the church laid hands on them and, and, and Paul and Barnabas were sent out as missionaries. And so on their first missionary journey, they're traveling through the... Um, the Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, and then they come up into the Galatian region and they're hitting a few cities as they go into the Galatian region. In verse 14, going on from Perga, they arrived at Presidian Antioch and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them saying, brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. 
After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. So what's he doing? He's talking to the Jews who know the Old Testament, and he's going through the prophecies, uh, or the, the story, the history of the Old Testament, and he's showing them how Jesus fits in with the history of the Old Testament and how Jesus is the Messiah. That's his message, right? So if you continue on reading, you'll see how he talks then about Jesus. And he talks about his resurrection, verse 30. Verse 32, we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children and that he raised up Jesus as it is also written. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. All right. Jesus is raised from the dead. Look at verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging, hey guys, y'all come back next Sabbath. Y'all tell us these stories. Look, y'all y'all explain this to us some more, please. And when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them were urging them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath day, nearly the whole city showed up. And when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with envy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blasphemed. And Paul says, hey, look, we're going to turn to the Gentiles because you Jews won't receive our word. Look, look at verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed and the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. Verse 50, but the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. So they shook the dust off their feet and went to the next city. All right? Look at chapter 14, verse 8. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. He was listening to Paul as he spoke. And Paul says, stand up. And he leaped up and began to walk. Then these people thought that they were Zeus and, and I think Hermes, two Greek gods, because Paul, they, had, they hadn't seen this before. Someone had actually healed a lame man so that he could actually stand up and walk. And so Paul spent a lot of time trying to calm the crown down and say, no, 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 I'm not Zeus. I'm, I'm not God. There, Zeus is not God anyway. This, the, the, the true God, he's the one who's done this. He's the one who's healed the lame man. Look at verse 19. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Look, guys, do you see over and over 
and over again. Paul is preaching a message that has to deal with the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. He is come for your sins to be forgiven. And when he does, he's kicked out of the cities. He's, they get, there's plots to kill him. And now they've even stoned him and he's, he's laying down there probably unconscious. They thought he was dead simply because of his message about a man named Jesus who he met on a road to Damascus who fulfilled every Old Testament prophecy. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want you to turn back to Colossians. There's plenty more passages in Acts that we can read, but turn back to Colossians. And I know it's after 12 o'clock. We're going to hurry, okay? Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings on behalf of his body, on Christ's body. And the fact that I'm filling up what is lacking in these afflictions. Verse 25, of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. Watch this. So that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. All right? So pay attention here. That word stewardship is really like administration or management. So God as the manager had a plan. And Paul says, according to God's plan, I was called not only to be a deacon of the gospel, a servant of the gospel, I was called to be a servant of God's body, the church. And I, as a part of this stewardship that was given to me for the church's benefit, for your benefit, my task was to fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. And I love this, guys. And I do want you to understand this. There is, when you read different commentaries, there's even confusion over this idea of what does it mean to be, to fully carry out the word of God. When you read the commentaries. And I'm gonna tell you guys what I think. But I love the fact that God called someone who knew the Old Testament like the back of his hand. And then got him to understand that Jesus was the Messiah by showing up on the road to Damascus. And then had him put both of those things together so that Paul could understand the message from the beginning all the way to when Jesus came. And I think part of what's going on here, when Paul says, I want to proclaim the full message of Jesus, I want you to understand that Jesus is the Messiah and here's why he's the Messiah. Look at all these prophecies of the Old Testament. Look at what God has been planning. Look at what God has been up to. Now, here he is. And I want you to understand this whole message so you're not just getting part of it. It's not just something that, that is just a side thing. It actually grips every bit of who you are so that you jump in with both feet. And that's actually what he wants to happen. If you read the rest of what's going on up to verse 29 and even beyond, you'll see that's his heart. You'll see it. 
that he can fully carry out the preaching or the proclamation of the word of God. Now, this word of God, what is it? It is, verse 26, the mystery which has been hidden from long, long ago, past ages, in the beginning, and generations. So what's that mystery that's been hidden from way long time ago all the way until now? Remember when we looked at Genesis 3.15? Remember when we looked at that? When Adam and Eve sinned and they took of the tree they weren't supposed to eat from and Jesus was, was cursing the serpent and he said, the offspring of the woman will crush your head, but you will strike his heel. There's been a hidden mystery from that point all the way up into the time Jesus came. And now Jesus has come and he's shown up to Paul and he's, Paul has looked at the Old Testament and he's going, whoa, there it is. It's the mystery and it's now been revealed. Jesus is the center of it all. He's the rescuer. He's the one that was promised way back then, and he's come now. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested, revealed, shown to his saints. It was only revealed, listen to me, at this point. Well, shortly before this point to those that were following God, right? Following Jesus. That's all about to change. That's all about to change, right? To whom, all right, so this has been revealed to his saints, to whom, verse 27, God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles? Which is, what does your Bible say? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now y'all listen to that for just a minute. And I can't get into every detail about this this morning like I wanted to because I'm just am out of time. But guys, we just read a passage of scripture before we got into verse 20 24 that says, uh, he want, God wants to present us before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed we continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that we have heard. And now Paul says, look, I've been made a minister and part of my task is to see to it that the ones God has given me to minister to, his church, actually make it to that point. And you'll see this even more next time we get together. And he said, here's the secret to making it to that point. If you want to be present at Christ's return, holy and blameless and above reproach, here is the mystery that has been hidden from way back then all the way to the present. Here is the secret. Here is the center to all Christianity. Christ in you, your hope of reaching glory. 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. He doesn't say, guys, listen to me. He doesn't say, read your Bible 15 minutes a day. He doesn't say, show up at church every, at least three Sundays out of the month. He doesn't say, go forward and get baptized. He doesn't say, make sure you pray at least five minutes a day or say three Hail Marys or make sure you're tithing or giving to the priest so that he can pray on your behalf. He doesn't say, get your life right, get your life straight. Now, obviously, that is linked in with that. Because his presence in your life should bring holiness. But guys, if we could have done it by our sheer effort, don't you think some of us would have done it by now? The whole deal, all of Christianity is wrapped up in the statement, Christ in you, the hope. Of glory. Bottom line, you turn to a person, not a set of do's and don'ts. Someone who loved you enough to lay his life down on your behalf. We're ready. Guys, thanks for sticking with me this morning. Thanks for sharing testimonies. Thanks for singing songs that point to a personal relationship with Jesus and not a, not a tradition or a set of do's and don'ts. I was reminded this week to look at my own love for Jesus. And that's one of the things I told y'all way back last, uh, two, two Julys ago, or two, two, two Mays ago, actually. That one of the things God was working with me is my love for him and my love for others. And I'm not where I need to be in that. But what about you? Where are you in reference to this center of Christianity? in reference to your relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. Now's your chance to think about that. And if he wants you to come ask me a question or get me to pray with you or grab somebody next to you and say, I really need help with this, can you pray with me? Now's an opportunity to respond.